Welcome to Research Rank Repeat. My name is Hannah, and I am joined by my co-host, Alyssa. We are here to delve into this podcast, uh, and we're starting with a new topic. We're looking towards television. Yes, and specifically animated television. A great place to be. Yeah, it really is. And so we thought we would start with Legend of Korra. And just a little bit of background on our history is that we, earlier this year, had went through and watched all of Avatar together. I had seen it uh, countless times. I couldn't tell you a number. Hannah had seen it when we were children, but she had never watched it all the way through as an adult. Yeah, I had seen episodes here and there, but I wanted to go through and watch it the entire way through. Um, We probably watched it in about... A month? About a month, maybe a yeah, little more. Pretty quick. Roughly, yeah. Um, and then I had, I, so I've seen a couple episodes of Legend of Korra. I have seen every episode and every season. I watched them when they premiered. I haven't seen it all the way through, I think, since the finale of the show. So there are, you know, a few things here and there that I don't remember, but I, there's nothing that would surprise me going into this. And so just, um, Full disclosure for everything, um, we are recording this prior to seeing any of the show. Um, yes. Because I wanted to come and I wanted to ask Hannah just a few questions uh, coming into this before we start. And so since you just said that you had seen a few episodes, what I wanted to know is what do you know about the show? Like, do you know anything about characters? Do you know anything about plot, story? Like, I just want to know what general knowledge you have before we start Okay, so basically, I would say I know the bare minimum. I'm aware that Korra is a new avatar. Okay. Or not, maybe not new, but like she is the newest avatar. Okay. Current. Um, I do know that it's sort of like a, um, not necessarily like a spinoff, but like a continuation of uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. That is correct. It is a continuation. And I believe Korra is like Ains granddaughter or daughter there's some relation there i will say nothing on the topic we'll find out as we watch yes but that is pretty much all i know okay you don't know any like other characters in the show just just that there's cora no i mean besides like i imagine at some point some of the old characters might show up okay but besides that i don't know any characters okay that's just uh, that's just the basics. I wanted to know like where we stood because I did the same thing when we watched Avatar. I was like, "What do you remember?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were like, "I remember long-haired Zuko and like three things from one specific episode in the first season." And I'm like, "All right, great." Yeah, and thirteen-year-old me had a massive crush on long-haired I mean, Zuko. Who didn't? Specifically, not ponytail Zuko, long-haired Zuko. You know, I was actually talking about this at work. Um, Recently, we were talking about Zuko's hair journey, and we all decided that nobody is into a shaved head ponytail Zuko. I mean, he was also just, like, a giant douchebag. It's just not a good look. Yeah. Okay, so now the next question um, is kind of open-ended, but are there things that you wish you could have seen in the first, like, in, in Avatar that you didn't get to see that, like, you would hope could be, like, discovered or, like, explored upon in this show? Hmm, that's a good question. I was gonna say, yeah, it's a little <clears throat> open-ended, so you um, can... Um, I always really like seeing a lot of, like, the action sequences, um, so I'm hoping for a lot of that. I can tell you there will be action. There we go. Lots of bending. I'm all about the female like warriors fighters so i'm pretty oh, excited yeah. for cora is buff yeah she's a buff chick yeah she's I, great i've seen like tons of pictures i'm stuff. sure you've seen her yeah so i'm images. looking forward to that she's quite strong um and i also i guess i want to see a good or maybe a good couple villains okay my biggest pet peeve in a lot of shows is when they don't take time to develop a villain and they just kind of throw them in there with no mm-hmm you don't feel anything. Right. Like, you want to get some backstory on villains. So I would kind of hope that... I know not every villain's going to have, like, a huge backstory, but, like, a main villain, I want to see, like, a good arc with them. Okay. Um, so my next question is, uh, is there a specific location or a few locations or any of the nations that you want to revisit or explore more from the first show that you liked or you didn't get to see enough of? 
because um, now this is will be in the future, so mm-hmm. things may have changed in areas or be different. I think I really like the enjoy the Fire Nation scenes because I really enjoy the characters that came from the Fire Nation. I think those were examples of like compelling villains. Mm-hmm. And I, Zuko necess- not necessarily a villain. Like at the beginning, he was, but he kind of grows into like the like anti hero, I guess. Right, and then um, becoming the Fire Lord. Right. But I guess I'm interested also to see if any of the original characters are still alive then. Okay, and that leads into my last question, is that if there, let's just say that characters are alive from the show, who would you want, who would, okay, (laughs) who would you want to see the most, who would you want to see, and who would you expect to see? I have to imagine, (laughs) this breaks my heart, that Uncle Iroh is no longer with us, seen as... It's probably been a while. I would I would say that considering he was already not an elder, but, but older, pretty old. Yeah. Uh, chances are he is uh, no longer living. Yeah, I definitely want to see Katara. Okay, I always really enjoyed. I enjoyed her um, progression of fighting skills and I water bending skills. Uh, she has one of the strongest uh, stories in the sense of like her growth not mm-hmm. necessarily character wise because Zuko's his character growth is right. exceptional but her just her mental and physical growth with her bending and the way she's able to use that to better herself and you know that's yeah. always I always really liked um, that. I think I want to see Sokka just for like the humor aspect like I think he'd be a funny old man mm-hmm. I actually really want to see um I'm blanking on the name. Zuko's sister. Um, Azula. Azula. Because okay. I thought Azula was like, in terms of villains, like she's, oh, she's just a great villain. Amazing. Yeah. Great so I kind of want to see how her and like Zuko's relationship was. Do you think we will see Aang in a, in a role similar to Roku? Or do you think he will not be similar? Like what do you, what do you foresee the Avatar connection to be? I mean, I would like to think that we'll get to see him in, like, the spirit form. Because, like, Roku was Aang's, like, mentor. Right. Even though he wasn't around. So I think I would like to see him kind of, like, mentor Korra. And mm-hmm. I do think there's a relation. I think it's... I'm pretty sure it might be his daughter. Granddaughter. I don't know. Okay. But I would like to see, like, that sort of relationship there. In, like, a spirit form. I imagine he would be at least mentioned because the show you know it was a big show right. not to just mention your main character now you haven't mentioned Toph just oh in general God. in general or what she would she have done with her life following you know Sozin's comment and all that like where do you think she would have had kids do you think she would be married like what do you what do you foresee she would have done I completely just forgot. Toph that's, was no, a that's okay. I, I assumed you were not thinking about her because no. she had not come up once. Um, I just am curious. In I don't regards. see her getting married or having kids. Okay. I feel like she could have become, and I don't know if she's still alive. She might be. I feel like she definitely could have become like an earthbender, like mentor, mm-hmm. and like maybe like trained younger people because she always like she wasn't the necessarily like the best teacher when she was teaching Ain. Right. But I feel like she's just so committed to being an earthbender. And also metalbender. Right. Because now she can metalbend. Like, that was the coolest Mm -hmm. thing. Um, That I feel like she probably, like, continued, like, teaching that to other people. Right. And it'd it'd be cool to see Korra being trained by, like, Katara Mm -hmm. or uh, uh, (laughs) Zuko or, like, some of the people who were in the original. Um, so I, I don't know. I completely forgot she was a character, though. If the person who voices Toph is listening to this, I apologize. All right, well, that is all the questions I had. Um, just to get a basis, you know, of what you think, what you know, what you'd like to see, what you expect. And, um, we are going to jump in and start the show. So we will, uh, come back, uh, when we've watched some of it and we'll start to share our thoughts. Catch you on the flip side. I hate my life. <laughs> I, I was going to say, we'll give you some, some background into the show, but I don't think we'll catch you on the flip side. But, uh, all right, see you soon. Let's just end it.
All right, we're back on the flip side. <laughs> what, you didn't like it? You're the one who made that joke. That was mean. You made the you made the joke. I already hated myself enough. You didn't have to make me hate myself more. Oh, that's fine. So we're going to get into some background and history about the Legend of Korra. As we know from watching Avatar, Legend of Korra is a sequel of sorts to Avatar The Last Airbender. Avatar was created by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konietzko. I believe that's correct. I'm sorry if I butchered your last name. They're also commonly referred to as Bright. Just so you're aware. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> In case you wanted to know that information. Whip that out somewhere. Yes. So Avatar ran from 2005 to 2008. 2010, the pre production of The Legend of Korra was announced. And then Korra ended up airing from 2012 to 2014. So a show that was ended up being four books only ran for about three years. Yeah, I noticed that when I was looking up like the season one just mm -hmm. trying to get some background stuff that i figured it'd be four years like one a season we will talk about more production focused on each season as we get to them because there is some conflict between the creators and nickelodeon that will become apparent as we go um but i don't want to cover that until we get to those specific books so book one which mm -hmm. is titled air was originally supposed to be a 12-episode miniseries. And the creators actually, I found this out today when I was looking up information, the creators wanted to do a follow-up animated movie to Avatar. Basically just be a, you know, about what happened to them post-show. Was this before or after the live action? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. The live action movie came out I think in 2009 or 10, we were in high school, or maybe you were in middle school, but we went and saw it in theaters. Yeah. Uh, but unrelated to that, they mm. were not really involved in the live action movie. Um, it's clear. Cl yeah, <laughs> clear by what happened. Maybe we'll talk about that at one point, but... <laughs> I don't really have a desire to. Yeah. But so the creators wanted to do a follow-up movie and Nickelodeon said no. They didn't want that. So that ended up turning into um, a comic series. I don't know if you know, there's mm -hmm. a, a uh, several-part comic series that follows the adventures of the gang post uh, book three. I've never read them, but I've heard good things about them. And instead, what happened is Nickelodeon said, give us more Korra. So then they renewed it for book two instead. Okay. So they were like, give us a full 26 episodes. But this was either after book one had finished or while it was in the process of airing. So there was no connect between season one and season two from the start. Okay. So they had made season one. Mm -hmm. It was a done thing. And then they said, actually, give us 14 more episodes. See, that makes sense now. Um... Well, having watched the season one finale. Yes. Why it felt like the end of a show, like the complete end of a show. So that makes sense knowing that. The Legend of Korra takes place 70 years after the events of Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, Republic City is described as what happens if Manhattan was in Asia. Okay. Is what uh, the creators are quoted as saying. And it's got like a 1920s mm -hmm. kind of a steampunk vibe going on. And um, another thing that's interesting is how they alter the bending styles. Because in Avatar, um, each bending had its own inspiration from a form of like martial arts or, you know, Tai Chi, karate, something of the sorts. And what they did in Korra, because it's kind of in a city and it takes place in the future, they decided to kind of modernize and blend the bending styles together. So the three main inspirations for bending is um, mixing Chinese martial arts, mixed martial arts, <laughs> mixed martial arts, and tricking. Do you know what tricking is? I do not. I didn't either. So I looked it up, and tricking is when you do kicks with flips and tricks from gymnastics and forms of dance, such as break dancing. Okay. And I noticed that, especially with the pro bending, that mm -hmm. it kind of had like a boxing kind of like martial arts feel because it's kind of close and you know lots right. of bobbing and weaving so 
the first book changed names several times as well. The original title was Avatar Legend of Korra. Okay. Then it was The Last Airbender Legend of Korra. I think it's good that they kept, like, Avatar and Last Airbender out of there because I think you're trying to distance yourself from that first show to create your own show and you don't want people to, like, constantly be reminded of that. Another thing, I I cannot confirm that this is true, but Avatar, the movie, came out around when this was in production. The live action? Yes. Avatar came out, I believe, in either 2009 or 2010. So I don't know if that had any influence. Oh, like you're talking about Avatar, like... The, the Blue, Blue People. People. Yes, yes. <laughs> the James Cameron's most selling movie until mm-hmm. Avengers, uh, and I can't remember if it was Endgame or Infinity War, yeah. broke the record. Yes. So you're saying <laughs> you're, they they might not have wanted to have Avatar in their title because the movie would have just come out like a year before that. Yeah, I, and I don't know if that's true. I can't, there's nothing that says that, but I just wonder if that was a consideration. Right. Nickelodeon was like, I don't know if we want to have Avatar in the title because yeah. of that. So, here's something that you might be interested in hearing about. Nickelodeon was reluctant and concerned to air The Legend of Korra because their fear was that girls will watch boy shows, but boys won't watch a show about a girl. I don't understand that, to be honest. It's ridiculous. It's It's super sexist. It's absolutely ridiculous because they ended up getting a test audience of boys and they had no issues with Korra as a as a main character and but the protagonist. I mean, also you have a lot of male side characters in there and also it's still action sequences. I don't think it matters if it's a male or a female doing the action sequences. It shouldn't matter, right. but executives apparently have to consider these things and are thinking that oh, we can't have a girl. She's not good enough to be a main character. I think it'd be safe to say most of Nick's executives were probably white men. I would imagine, yes. I would imagine. Now, let's talk about book one. Book one aired Saturday mornings, and I couldn't get a confirmation on the time that it aired at, but as someone who watched it when it was airing, I think it was maybe 11 a.m., 11 or 11.30. That's like prime cartoon time, though. And it worked out for them because the premiere of the show averaged 4.5 million viewers, mm-hmm. which is a lot. Yeah, and it was um, Nick's most watched animated series premiere in three years. It was also the number one kids show and animated program of that time, like of that weekend or that week. Right. And uh, the first season or book averaged 3.8 million viewers per episode, which was the highest total for an animated series of the year, mm-hmm. which is crazy because you've got the likes of The Simpsons, you've got Family Guy, you know, right. you have other animated shows, and it was the most watched animated show of 2012. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it had to do, obviously, with the success of Avatar The Last Airbender. Of course. knowing it was a sequel, obviously, that already you already have fans built in. So I think that's helpful to have a fan base, but I also think they probably got a lot of p- kids who hadn't watched the first one watching this. I also remember that the first book had a ton of marketing. I remember seeing commercials and ads for it constantly on mm-hmm. Nickelodeon and in general. Right. So I'm sure that helped as well. Of course, yeah. So the show averaged a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. It was a 79% on Movie Critics. And it also was nominated for many awards, Mm -hmm. Um, a lot, most notably, um, they were nominated for seven Annie Awards, five Daytime Emmys, and one Grace Allen Award, which are pretty big in the animation field. Right. And they won um, two Annie Awards, one of the Daytime Emmys, and they won the Grace Allen Award. So pretty pretty good uh, win record there then. Yeah, they won for various things, Mm -hmm. not like specifically the Grace Allen Award, or Gracie Allen, excuse me, was for best show, but uh, some of the other awards for like production related things. Okay. And that's all I have about history. Before we start though... We will be talking about the show, about plot points that happen. So just a little spoiler alert. 
There will be spoilers. Yeah. If you have not watched all the show yet, maybe wait till you finish to watch this or listen to this. Okay. So I did get a little description from Wikipedia. Okay. Most trusted <laughs> web source out there. Uh, now if you're uh, in school. Yeah. It's, you can't trust Wikipedia it's for the devil. any source. Yeah. <laughs> if you even touch it, you will get an F. Okay. So season one, book one air follows 17 year old Korra from the Southern Water Tribe and the successor of Avatar Ain from the preceding series Avatar The Last Airbender as she travels to the metropolis of Republic City to learn airbending and faces an anti-bender revolutionary group, the Equalists, led by the masked Aman. Ooh. Ooh. Spooky. Ooh. Very. So, the first thing I just wanted to say is I was, like, kind of interested to see how quickly I would be, um, what am I looking for? Like, be able to get invested in the series. Right. Because I feel like with Avatar, it took me a couple episodes to really get into it. So going into this, since I already had somewhat of a connection to the past show, I was just interested to see if that would be an instant thing where I fell in love with it, or if I'd have to wait a little bit. Um, We can get into it later on, but it did take me a little bit to get invested in the characters and everything. It definitely... um, I remember when I watched it, because I watched it, the premiere as it aired, Mm -hmm. I was one of those 4.5 million people watching the show and it was surreal. I remember being surreal where you're like, you immediately meet Aang and Katara's son, you meet Toph's daughter, like Aang is dead, Sokka's dead. You're like, oh my God, my characters, where are they? And you're just like thrown into it. Like, here you go. Mm -hmm. Good luck. Yeah, I mean, they revealed a lot in the first, like, five to ten minutes. Like, that you knew that Sokka had died, you knew... I mean, you knew Aang was probably already dead since well, there was a new Avatar. <laughs> he kind of had to be dead. Um, There's no chance then you, he was alive. You see Katara right away, so you get a lot of questions answered right away, which I think is smart, because a lot of people are, like, waiting for those answers. Some of the stuff you don't find out till later on. Right. But, yeah, I... One of the things I noticed about this season is it's very reminiscent of like, current events. Yes. There's a lot of themes that match up with what's going on right now in the world. A lot of, um, season one is a lot of political Mm -hmm. issues, police brutality, brutality, oppression. The other main thing I noticed, and I know you said, you mentioned this, I don't know if you mentioned in the podcast, but you told me that the music is done by the same uh, team from Avatar. Yes, uh, Jeremy Zuckerman was the uh, soundtrack mm-hmm. designer for Avatar The Last Airbender, and he also worked on Legend of Korra mm-hmm. as well. Which you could tell, like I could notice, because one of my favorite things about Avatar was when they did like the scenes and it had just that music, it just made it so much better. Um, so I noticed that right away and I was like, I think it's a smart idea to keep the same person going. I'm glad they brought him back because they were able to keep, like, because there's a lot of similar instruments from Avatar that they use in Korra, but they're able to, like, it gave, some of the tracks are a bit jazzy, you know, kind of fits, like, the 1920s feel, like, swing, like, old-time kind of music, Mm -hmm. but then there's also the strings and, you know, the, like, sound, like, glockenspiel-esque, you know, xylophone sounds. Yeah, and you talked about this, how they said it was kind of like a New York City feel. They wanted to have that. And that's one of the things, like, that I think was the most striking is going from Avatar and then instantly going to this where it's, there's cars all over the place. There's so much industrialization going on that it took me a minute to, like, (laughs) realize what was happening. I would say that if their intention was... which I think it was, was to make Legend of Korra feel very distinct and different from Mm -hmm. Avatar. I think they did a good job of that because Avatar was all about the adventure. Mm -hmm. You know, they're traveling from location to location and they generally don't stay in one place for more than an episode or two, except for like Ba Sing Se and in the Fire Nation capital. You spend a little bit more time there, but this whole season takes place in Republic City. Right. You get a little bit of the South uh, Southern Water Tribe at the very beginning and the very end, but the bulk of the show takes place in one location. Mm-hmm. So you're in one central localized place, and I think that makes it feel very different. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I do... 
like that they have a lot of different places within the city. But it definitely is different from not seeing them be traveling all the time. They're stuck in one area and the whole plot and the whole story revolves specifically around the city and events going on inside that city. I really liked that. Yeah. I know that there are people who dislike season one or book one, I should say, because of that, because it's just one lo- one location. I remember um, back in the day on the Avatar subreddit, people when season or book two was announced, people were like, are we going to get to leave the city? Are we going to get to go to new locations? Because people were like, I don't know if I want a second season to take place in one city again. Right. Yeah, because you worry about it become like boring or becoming repetitive and stuff like that. So I can understand that. I personally would like to see them maybe go somewhere else just to get a different uh, feel or a different like more plot from that. But other things I noticed is the action sequences I thought were done really well, the fighting sequences. You can see a definite improvement in animation mm-hmm. quality. Yeah. It's uh, high def. Yeah. I think one. I even said something to you like the first episode. I was like, this is so much like clearer and like crisper than Avatar it's, was. It's very crisp. I would like to say that one of the things I love the most about Avatar was the side characters we got. And so going into Legend of Korra, I was like really worried about not getting strong side characters. And I will say the first couple episodes, I was like, ooh, I don't know if I'm like crazy about these side characters. But for the most part, I really liked all of them by the end. There was a lot of characters that surprised me how much I ended up liking them at the end. I think it's interesting for this show uh, because Avatar, the majority of the cast were children. Mm -hmm. You know, they were ages 12 to 16. I think Zuko was 16. And there were very few adults we get Uncle Iroh, you know, and inside characters here and there, but the majority of the main cast is children. Mm-hmm. And in Korra, pretty much everyone's an adult. Yeah. You know, Korra's 17, I believe Mako and Bolin are 16 through mm-hmm. 18, roughly the same as Sami. And then you get Tenzin and Lin, who are people in, like, their 50s. Right. You know, and it's kind of interesting to see the different dynamics that they're able to create with this show. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. That's that's definitely interesting. Going off of characters, I think the one thing that Legend of Korra does really well is creating strong female characters. Yes. We well, got Lin, you've got Korra, you have Asami, but they're all three like really strong side female characters or main characters in, in the case of Korra. And I think that continued off of Avatar because I've always felt like Avatar with with Toph and with Azula. Yeah, and Azula. Azula. Like, they always like... did strong female mm-hmm. characters, which I enjoy. And it's nice to see Korra is, as a main character, she's not what you would generally see in a lead, like, character. She's almost the complete opposite of Aang. She's mm-hmm. super buff. She's cocky. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, antagonistic. She's kind of a bully at times. You know, she relies on her strength. She's, you know, stubborn. And it's nice to see, like, a character like that. Yeah. Which I thought one of the reasons that I ended up liking Tenzin a lot is because you got that quiet kind of calmness that Ain used to have. And it's so cool to see that, like, in his son. Um, I also really liked watching him tens and fight because I feel like that's what we would have been able to see with Aang like 30 years after Avatar you know because we never got to see him fight as an adult obviously we did though well we did but not like more than like right. snippets you know not I mean? more than a a 30 second flashback. right right Tenzin almost seems in his fighting style more aggressive yeah like the airbending is is a lot more like in some of the fights, like, some of the things he does, you see, you know, Aang in him, but some of it, it's very, like, kind of punchy almost, where it's, like, bursts of air, and I'm like, oh, yeah. it's interesting to see that evolution from him. Right. And I know one of the things I had mentioned when we talked about, you asked me some questions about kind of what I wanted to see, and one of my main things was, like, a, comp- a compelling villain. You specifically said that you wanted a villain backstory. Mm-hmm. And with Amon, at the beginning, like, he definitely was a striking villain. Because he's, he's behind a mask, you don't know who he is, you're, you're making up theories the whole season. The theory crafting about Amon when this is airing was insane. Mm-hmm. People were 
all over the place. I know you had talked about you thought it might be Tarlock. Yep. And I also thought maybe for a second it could be um, Asami's dad. Hiroshi Sato. Yep, Sato. And I thought maybe because he was giving me like a creepy vibe. So I definitely, I went through a couple different characters trying to figure it out. People thought it was Zuko. People thought it was somehow Aang, like an mm. evil spirit Aang. People thought it was Ko the Face Stealer. Do you remember him from oh, yeah. season one? People thought it was Ko the Face Stealer. People thought it was one, one of Aang's other kids. People were... I think I said that maybe did. it could be Aang's, one of Aang's other kids, because you only yeah. learn about one of them. We can we can keep going with Am- Aman. I, he was so compelling leading up to the end and I feel like the payoff wasn't there no it the way that they ended his storyline it just like would it just didn't feel right yeah they'd been going all season I agree and I think part of the reason it doesn't feel right is because it was supposed to be one solid story right the build-up starting from episode three where you find out he can take people's bending away Mm -hmm. that made him scary because it's like he can take away your power something that only ang we saw Mm -hmm. ang do at the end of book three to ozai and it's someone unlike ang who doesn't have like control like ang wouldn't just take people's powers away who weren't causing an issue this man he can literally take anyone's powers away right and his goal is to create equality right so he's his overall like what we would assume his overall goal is is to literally take away everyone's bending yeah. in existence well because he's the equalist they want everyone to kind of be on a level playing field right it's kind of like um parallel to the incredibles mm-hmm. with um uh syndrome syndrome yeah. whereas if everyone's super no one is kind of deal right but yeah i mean i think he is a compelling villain up until the end i would say once we get to the last two episodes is where it fizzles out. Yeah. Up until when he take up until when he takes away Lynn's bending. Yeah. He's a terrifying like like edge in my seat. The scene I remember because you mentioned you thought Tarlock was a mon. A lot of people thought Tarlock was a mon. Mm-hmm. The scene where Tarlock walks up the stairs and Amon's standing next to him and mm-hmm. then he just he's blood bending him and he's just walking through it. Yeah. And he takes away his bending. And the people were... And I remember I was like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what is this? Like, who is he? The other thing... And I know it's only been one season. There were some characters who I felt like had some good development. I do feel like there were a good chunk handful that we really didn't get much development at all from. Um, Like, I would say Bolin... Uh, macho, as I call him. Hannah has started referring to Mako as Macho. His yes. name's just Macho now. Yes, that's his new name. Like, I didn't feel like they really got much development there. They were more, to me, used as... Well, I mean, when they were doing the the fire ferrets and, like, the, the bending... Pro, the pro-bending. They had more of a involvement in the story. I felt like the later on we got, they were more just used as, like pawns in the plot like to move the plot along and to create like the romantic the love triangle love triangle in in the case of macho i'm mixed about the like clear divide in like story because the first six episodes are like focused on this pro bending Mm -hmm. tournament and you get all of that and you know there's some amon stuff going on you know on the side and her you know training but once we get to the end and that cuts off, then the story is just all about Amon. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think they made everything fit right with the characters. Because I feel like Bolin really got underused. He, I mean, the second half, he was barely there. Except for, like, group sequences, he was right. there. But that was about it. The other thing that bothered me a little bit, and it, it's done all the time with Asami is that she's, like, such this interesting character. She, like, her dad ends up being a huge asshole. Yes. Like, basically being part of Amon's group and all this, and her mom had been killed by a firebender. Like, she's got a really compelling story, but she was just stuck in that love, like, the love triangle. So, here's um, something that you might be interested in knowing. Originally, Asami was supposed to be evil. She was going to be an equalist, like an equal spy. Right. But they liked her so much that they just decided to make her a part of the cast. So originally she wasn't even going to be like a a protagonist in the story. 
And I think maybe because of that, they didn't really have time to develop her as a character later on beyond, you know, being a love interest. Because she's so interesting. Yeah. Because, well, one, her fashion sense is amazing. (laughs) Yes. She has the best outfits in the show. Two, she can fight. Yeah. You know, she's a good fighter. She's clearly smart. She's capable. You know, she's... Uh, you know, her father's this huge industrialist, like, kind of Henry Ford figure. Do you want to see, because, so each character, I have a hard time, like, keeping track of characters, so I wrote a little description. For Asami, I wrote, all-around badass whose father is rich but a dick. Yeah, that's about fair. That's pretty much it. Yeah, she loses so much this season. Yeah. Her whole story is just, like, her father's evil, you know, she loses, she has to move out of her house, her boyfriend emotionally is cheating on her, you know, and then she basically has to fight her own father at the end of the book, and it's like, I feel so bad for her. Yeah, and I think going forward, I'd really like to see, like, some development with her, besides just being a love interest. Now that you told me that she was supposed to just be evil, um, I can see them just not having enough time to develop her character more, but I think that's interesting. It's always interesting to me, the characters who, like, are trying to break away or defy what their parents are. Right. You know, and they're trying to, like, there's, like, an internal battle there. And there are times when you think she could be evil at the beginning. Like, oh, I remember when I, when they first showed her, I was like, oh, I don't know that I trust her. But I like seeing those characters who don't want to be like their family and they kind of try to make their own path. Gotta go their own way. Gotta go your own way. So Avatar was a children's show, but they presented very mature mm-hmm. themes. And Korra, I think everything feels so much darker. Yeah. Like, a lot of the plot lines and the story elements, and not to say, like, you know, the genocide of the Air Nation, you know, and Ozai being, like, an abusive father, you know, things like that aren't dark, but it mm-hmm. just feels like the overall tone and, like, the way they're portraying the story feels a lot darker even in the animation style, you notice, like, in the, when the they're blood in the... bending. Yeah, the bloodbending, and when they're in Republic City, it's so much darker, and it's, obviously, they're, like, <laughs> it looks like there's smog there. <laughs> it feels very, um, dark night. Yeah. But, I mean, I think Avatar always had this element of hope, even when there was a lot of, like, negative and bad stuff going on, you always kind of felt this sense of hope, and I think a lot of it came from Aang. I think with Korra, she's a little bit older than I, than Ain was, and I think it being 70 years in the future, I think that she always sort of has this sense that things could go really wrong. Um, but I, I like having, personally, I like having a little bit more of, like, a mature, like, darker storyline. I do as well, and I don't want to give, um, I'm not going to give any spoilers for the future books, but I think as a whole, Korra does a great job in telling stories of themes that were not present in Avatar. Mm -hmm. They go in different directions and in terms of characters, in terms of stories that I think they maybe either couldn't do with with Avatar or they wanted, you know, because the characters are a lot older, so they can do different different things with that. So I will be interested to see what your thoughts are moving forward into the future books. Yeah. So I just want to talk about the finale. The finale, now that you told me that this was supposed to be a miniseries, this was technically the end of the show, I, I guess I get it, but my biggest issue with the finale was the last, like, five to ten minutes, there was so much happening. It feels incredibly rushed. Yeah. And I went back and watched it like three times because I I missed a bunch and I was like, this is like the entire show summarized in five to ten seconds. It was so much happening. So here, I'll tell you, here's what I like. Pretty much half of it is just telling the backstory of Amon Mm -hmm. and Tarlock or Noatok as he's known as. And I actually wrote down the music track that plays during that backstory is is one of my favorite tracks from Legend of Korra. And I wrote down, it's called Before, just because I, I wanted to get that name down, because it's just, it's so, like, somber and sad, the way they use, like, the strings, you know, to, to make that. And I really like that that backstory and the way they, they tell mm-hmm. that story of his past and how it shaped him to be who he is and why he wants equality because of this horrible father figure that he, you know, well, I mean, it was his father, but horrible father he had growing up. Yeah. Um, 
And I really like that, but then once they confront him is where I just, like, there's, it's just not right. It was also the the worst plan. Like, they basically were going to call him out with no evidence in front of a group of people. And I, the thing that bothered me is it didn't feel characteristic of Korra to, to go about it like that. Yeah. And I just, after that point, when there was the confrontation between her and Aman, like, it was so quick, I just... I didn't think that was executed well. And then, I'm not opposed to her having her bending taken away. Mm-hmm. I, th- You know, when I was watching it, I assumed that was going to happen. And I'm not even opposed to her getting airbending. What I don't necessarily like is how she gets her bending taken away, gets airbending. We see her go to the South Pole. Katara's like, I can't do anything. And then she immediately gets it back. Mm-hmm. And that I I don't know if it feel if it's because it doesn't feel earned like I don't feel like she earned that back you know it just kind of feels like it was like oh hey because this is a one season thing we need to mm-hmm. end on a high note you know we can't end with her not having her powers or going into the avatar state I almost feel though it would have been a lot more compelling to have just ended it not knowing even if the show had been a mini series and had only gone on I almost feel like it would have been more interesting just to see it end with her just having airbending. And that's what I wish the creators would have known they had a second season. So they could have left it in a cliffhanger. Because if they had a second season, if they knew that the show was going to keep going, they could have ended it like that. They could have, we could have started season two with her learning airbending, you know, getting down airbending, learning that, and then she could go through this discovery and this, you know, journey to find her bending again or to get into the Avatar state. And I feel like that would have been a really compelling way to continue the show. Unfortunately, we didn't get that because right. it was just going to be a, a miniseries. And so I, I I, wish we could have seen that journey. Mm-hmm. I was I was disappointed kind of with the ending, I will no, say. No, I was too. I mean, that's pretty much all I really have to say about it, the season. I was I want to save, like, my main summary of the season for when, at the end, when we rank the seasons. Okay. Um, so I want to ask, how did you feel about did you think it was Aang when he walks up to her when she's sitting on the cliff? Oh, yeah. You thought it was Aang? Well, okay. because the whole season, Tenzin's kind of saying, like, oh, have you connected with the other avatars mm-hmm. yet? Like, and I felt like they couldn't end the season without her actually connecting with them. I agree. So when she was sitting there and I saw someone walk up, I was like, okay, it's definitely going to be Aang. Mm-hmm. It's going to be her connecting. Um, So that, to me, wasn't that surprising. I, I assume that was him. That's the other thing I wanted to mention. I got I knew there was something I was forgetting. I think uh all things considered, The Legend of Korra did a really good job of integrating like old characters but also not focusing too much on the past because uh we got Aang in a limited capacity. We got that little flashback, which was oh so nice to see even just a little bit of Sokka. Yeah. You know, and, and like a little bit of an older Aang and Toph and getting to see Aang going to the Avatar State as right. an adult with his giant air scooter. Yeah. And, oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah, I liked not having so much focus on them. Um even Katara, she was only really in it for a couple scenes. Zuko, we don't even get anything on him, so we don't even really know where he's at. You get his grandson. Yeah, we do. Named Iroh, which when yes, I heard Iroh I, I went, Oh Yeah. No, but I like not Having such a strong focus on them, it allows the new characters to get chance to develop. And also, we get them in the form of their children and grandchildren. Right. That representation. Yeah. Um, oh, and the other thing I wanted to mention is there's this theory that uh, Cora, you know, when she's sitting on that crying, you know, on the little ledge there, there's some people have this theory that she's contemplating suicide mm. because now that she doesn't have her bending, she can't be the Avatar. Because that was, like, all she was. Because that was all she was, was, like, her identity rested on her bending and her abilities, like, a fighting. And now that she doesn't have that anymore, she's, like, people theorize that she might have been considering dying so the next Avatar can be an Avatar kind right. of deal. Um, I guess the last thing is just that, so Tarlock just Oh my god, himself I can't, I can't believe I, I didn't mention that. <laughs> we watched a murder-suicide. I know. On Nickelodeon. I the was, children's show. Well, because I was watching and I thought, oh, like, Tenzin's just gonna probably kill Amon right now. And then all of a sudden I saw it explode and I was like, oh wow, he just killed both of them. I remember watching that and I was like, did this did this just air on a children's show? Yeah. We, we literally watched a man murder his brother 
in a murder-suicide yeah. on a boat. Yeah, that was unexpected. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean in the terms of, like, dealing with more mature right. themes. Is, I can't even believe I forgot about that. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, because I... I kind of did the thing where I just, like, sat there for a minute, like, and what? I was like, wait, that's why I had to go back and rewatch, because I was like, maybe I saw that wrong, but, yeah, there was a lot going on. We're gonna get into some of our favorite moments, favorite, favorite things. things from the episode, so let's start out with your favorite episode. Okay, so, uh, I was debating between two episodes, um, and we kind of briefly discussed this while we were watching it, but I ended up picking episode eight when extremes meet. That was also mine. Okay, I, I kind of thought it might be. We, we we try to not talk about things too specific, you know, so we have stuff to talk about when we record these, but I just think the build-up and the tension in this episode and the humor is really good in this mm-hmm. episode. I just think as a whole, it is the best rep- representation of the show because her and Tarlock are the same in a way because they have that talk in his office and he's like you know you're using you know violence you know to intimidate people and he's like isn't that what you came here to do right like to oppress and intimidate me and it's like that's exactly what she was here for so i just thought um the fighting was good in the episode Mm -hmm. like her versus tarlock was a really good fight scene the finding out he's a bloodbender right is a great end to the episode and also how it relates to today right yeah, for me, it was the first, like, five minutes, the humor was just so good. I, I instantly was like, okay, this reminds me of, like, old Avatar. Um, this was also the first episode, I think, where I finally got invested in the show. This is the first time we got to see, like, a group of characters kind of team up with each other. And so that made me, like, think, I I don't know, I just enjoyed that aspect. So that, to me, and like you said, the fight at the end, the the moment between them, I thought was just really good. So, I mean, there was a couple of the other episodes that I really enjoyed as well, but this was the first one where I really got invested. I think, um, I, this is something that I mentioned to you, the block of seven, eight, and nine as episodes, I think is the best chunk of episodes in the season. Mm -hmm. Episode seven being where you find out Hiroshi's a member of the Equalists and you have to fight, you know, them, and then nine being the flashback with, you know, Aang and, uh, Yakone and that backstory. Yeah. Um, I would just like to go into the favorite fight then. Okay. Because mine was actually the fight with Korra and Tarlock at the end there. Okay. That was maybe a second or a third choice. I was mm-hmm. going between a couple. Um, the reason I really like that one is because, like you said, there was that, that moment right before with them where they kind of, where you realize, like, yeah, they are doing the same thing. Um, one of the things, though, I really liked is all, like, the small details like, they had a lot of, uh, Tarlock was doing water bending and he would, like, cut, like, just a little bit of her hair, stuff like that. And also, like, realizing that he's a bloodbender, like, that moment, and you're like, oh. Because <laughs> I remember I was like, oh my god, bloodbending, like, he's doing it. So, yeah, that was my favorite fight. That uh, was a, a strong contender for me. I had a few that I was kind of struggling to pick between. I also loved seeing Aang fight as an adult, but mm-hmm. I felt like I couldn't pick that because it wasn't, you know, one of, it wasn't, like, the, one of the main cast members. I ended up picking um, the fight from episode six, The Winner Is, with Korra and Lin. Okay. Mainly because watching Lin fight Mm -hmm. is so great. She was my, overall, like, watching the season, she was the person I looked most forward to watching fight, was Lin. So the reason I picked episode six is because we hadn't seen Lin in action at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, so to see her, you know, Cora, you know, does that water trick where you get up in the air, she's falling, Lin grabs her, and then you watch Lin Spider-Manning, you know, around the building. And then, specifically, what I like is the fight between the general, you know, with the mustache, Mm -hmm. and Cora on the roof, where they're going back and forth, and it's, like, really quick, and, like, the music is great in that scene, right. and just, like, the tension, you know, where Lynn has to decide between, am I going after Amon, or am I going to save Korra, because, you know, they were not at, not seeing eye to eye at that point, right. and I just think the culmination of that worked really well. Um, so, favorite scene? Mine was the background story with Tarlock and Amon. Okay. Uh, like you said, that, that song's my favorite. I went on YouTube and found it right after the episode and saved it. But there was just something about how they mixed the music in with that story. And for the first time, you kind of see how Amon could have become the person he became, what his motives were. And 
and having that sort of childhood, that sort of growing up, like you can almost sympathize a little bit with him. So I like that moment getting like sort of that human moment, even with Tarlock too. Like you can sympathize with both the villains of the season. Um, that that was my favorite. The one um, I ended up choosing is from near the beginning of the show, actually. It's when Korra breaks down with Tenzin. Mm-hmm. It's from right after, I guess the the whole scene would be where, you know, she's on Avatar, she's just challenged him on, you know, she's on Avatar Aang Memorial Island, she gets roped in, Amon's like, it's not time yet. He's yeah. like, I could take away your bending right now. And, you know, the whole episode we've been building up this fear, you know, it starts with a nightmare where she has to face Amon and it's this build up where, you know, she doesn't want to join Tarlock's task force and then, you know, challenges him because she has so much fear and then after... He, you know, knocks her out. She sees this Aang flashback and then Tenzin's there and she just breaks down. Yeah. Because we've seen her be strong and we hadn't seen her be vulnerable at that point. And she's just like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm lost. I'm confused. You know, I'm terrified. And, like, Tenzin's just, like, there for her. And there's that good, like, mentor, you know, mentee relationship that I thought was really nice to see. Yeah. At that point in the show. Um, That actually lines up. Well, not the same episode, but... I did have a favorite quote. I did too. Um, so it's, I think it's the finale and it's when um, Cora is, it might have been when she was sitting on that cliff area and Aang mm-hmm. comes as like a spirit or like the avatar. I'm kind of thinking we have the same favorite quote. Yeah. <laughs> so when we hit our lowest point, we are open to the greatest change. That's exactly the same okay. quote I picked. Um, I got goosebumps when me, I heard that. Me too. And I was like, it's such a ain like thing to say, like the the exact perfect thing to say in that moment, and it just like had so much truth. I just was like, okay, like yeah, I can relate. I also really like that quote because it it just like again with the finale. I don't know necessarily know if it feels earned that she just gets her bending back and then can go into the avatar state, but right. clearly she's broken because you know i mean mako's like i love you and she's like i don't like i can't do that you know i'm i lost my bending and i i mean i'm not happy that they kissed at the end of the show either i didn't think that was necessary not thrilled about that i'm not thrilled i wasn't thrilled about that um to be at that time but just the weight of it and just also just seeing him again and him being there you know and them connecting i just thought that was a really good quote to fit that scene yeah Okay, so we each picked our top three favorite characters. Yes, for the season. So let's the book. Oh my god, I cannot. I can't, we both keep yes. doing that. I keep telling book. you book, and then I, I say season. Um, so let's just go back and forth. Okay. Um, so my number one favorite character. Oh, we to put him in order. Well, like I just put him in an order, but okay. I mean, I I can just read him in the order I wrote yeah. them in. And it was actually the biggest surprise for me would have been Lynn. My first one I wrote was Lynn Bayfield. Yeah. So when she first starts out, like. I wasn't the huge, biggest fan of her. And I don't think you're supposed to be. No. But watching her fight and just watching, like, at the end, she basically is willing to sacrifice herself. For her ex. Yeah. Well, yeah. But still, just, like, getting to watch her and getting to, like, be like, that's what we could have seen with Toph. Like, getting to see the metal bend and, you know, Toph taught her that. It's just, it's so cool to see. Well, I love her because when we start out, she's the chief of police. She holds this high power. She's this kind of stern, like, old, you know, that stern older woman trope that's, you know, you see a lot. (laughs) But then she also is fighting and she clearly will, like, is on the Avatar side. And then she is like, I'm going to do it my way outside the law, you know, and drops of the police force and, you know, does whatever she wants to do to get to the truth. Basically becomes like a vigilante. She becomes Batman. Yeah. She goes from Spiderlin to Batman. To Batman. To Batman. Yeah. (laughs) And it's great, and I love to see it. Yeah. And just, like, and then knowing she got her powers back, got yeah. her bending back, is great, too. Yeah, because I said, like I said, she was my favorite person to watch fight. Like, I always got excited when I saw her fight. Second, I would have to go with Tenzin. I also wrote Tenzin okay. second, so. Um, he just brought this sort of, like, calmness and this wisdom to the show, and you felt like there was a piece of Aang there, obviously. But... In terms of being, like, a mentor and in terms of being, like, a person who always had Cora's back, even when he wasn't thrilled, like, with the bending, like, the pro-bending, he wasn't happy about that, but he ended up, like, at one point, he's, like, cheering for her, like... He's he's also, he's stubborn. Yeah. You know, because they don't always see eye to eye, him and Cora, and he's, like, clearly only respond to force. He's, like, you're not doing Mm -hmm. it my way, like, you needed to be doing it my way, but then they, like, they're able to to come to terms and to seemingly work well together, you know, towards the end of the show, they have, like, a good mentor, you know, relationship going on, uh, master, you know. So this felt weird not to include Korra, 
Okay, I also didn't okay. include Korra. Because to... Okay, here's what I'll just say before I reveal my third character. It feels weird not to include the main character of the show. So, so I, I don't want to say anything because I've seen the show. Yeah. Korra is a character who experiences a lot of growth. Yeah. I mean, I, I can imagine you would expect a main character right. to see a lot of growth. And it's different from Aang, where Aang's growth was a lot different than Korra's. Like, mm-hmm. clearly he had wisdom beyond his ears. You know, he was fun, he was playful, but he also understood, you know, and came into his role as the Avatar. Right. And Korra is... is brash you know she's you know we've already talked about her character and she does learn throughout the book she you know becomes a better right avatar and a better person but i don't think at least in my mind in book one i don't think it's there yeah i like cora i just as i I don't think she's there as like a favorite i would agree okay so i ended up going with asami i went with asami too okay so we had the same three i think to me asami had the most compelling storyline I, in, in rewatching book one, because I probably haven't watched book one in a while, probably maybe two or three years, like the whole thing in order, and I really like Asami's story, and even Mm -hmm. though she doesn't necessarily get a lot to work with in terms of, like, you know, character growth and plot, you know, what's there is really well done. Yeah, and I just, I mean, she can fight... I like her attitude. I like that she just doesn't really... Sense of style. Yeah. And I I don't know. We already talked about her quite a bit, but... Right. Yeah, she was definitely, like, for me, another surprise character. I agree. So, there's one thing I wanted to discuss um, before we finish with our book one discussion. So, Avatar, we had uh, books Water, Earth, and Fire, and Korra book one is Air. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think we're going to see for book two as a title. That's where it's interesting because... Do you want me to tell you what the title is? Okay. And I don't think they're going to go back to the other elements. Okay. With her, though, it's like Ayn started out not having mastered three of the elements. With her, she had only not mastered one. I feel like going forward, now that she has all of her powers back, I don't know what it will be called, but I imagine it will just be... uh, combination of all the I don't know what I'm trying to say so uh, okay so you you mentioned earlier that you want to see them going to other locations Mm -hmm. so uh, mainly what I wanted to ask is like what do you where does our story go from here because now we've got a a 14 episode book that extends upon a technically a complete mini series so it necessarily it doesn't you know do you think it's going to uh, lend from the first book? Like, are we going to see, you know, a connection from, like, things with Amon and the Equalist? Are we going to go a completely different route? Like, what what do you, would you like to see? Or, like, what do you think we'll see? I mean, I think with the way they ended Amon's story, to me it was pretty clear that, like, they were ending that storyline. Okay. Um, I would say, though, that I think with any sort of political or like belief like that it obviously just doesn't disappear i imagine there still might be people who feel that everyone should be equal and still have an issue with core and like all the different kinds of benders but i don't think that will be a major story plot um i don't know that they keep in republic city okay i think maybe they go to some of the other like could maybe go to water tribes or maybe go to we haven't seen a lot with like the fire bending fire nation area and i know there's not really like separate like a lot of places now it's more combined i will say that the nations themselves are still pretty individualistic like we saw right. in avatar where you've got the distinct you know southern versus northern right. water tribe the air nation you know the air nation the earth kingdom fire nation um, but, and Republic City is really that multicultural, like, that's like the, infusion. That's like inclu- the city where they're all kind of it's ki- It's kind of like a, yeah. like a new, like a melting pot. Like, the Amer- the American melting pot, as so you might say. Like, well, you know, like New York, <laughs> where, like, there's so many different cultures and, you know, people yeah. from different countries and different, you know, traditions and things that all just kind of mold together. Not right. like, um, yeah. You know, you don't understand what I'm trying to say. Though. Yes, I do. Yeah. But yeah, I don't really know. I, I Like I said, going forward, I want to see some of the side characters get some more development, get some more plot. I'd like to see Korra get more growth, more of a character. Uh, I didn't character necessarily feel like 
she had a ton of development maybe until towards like the end and I, I know it's only been one season or one book Got it's it. gonna be an issue. It's I'll get it down. Issue. We'll we'll get there eventually. Um, I'm I'll keep doing. But it yeah, myself. I'd like to see some more growth. I'd maybe like to see one or two new characters introduced. But I mean, for the most part, I I don't know. I don't really know what to expect going forward. I guess. So I don't know. I'm just looking forward to book two. Same. And uh, see what happens. And we will be back when we have finished book two. We would like to thank Joseph McDade for our intro music. He provides free music available for all kinds of creative use. The song that we used is called Sunrise Expedition, and you can find it and his other music on his website, josephmcdade.com. If you would like to reach us, you can email us at r3podcasts at gmail.com. That's r, the number three, p-o-d-c-a-s-t-s at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Instagram by searching research rank repeat.